Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Tashawn Brown. And I'm Ashley Holmes. Welcome to another episode of Prep Talk, where we discuss all things in the emergency management field. You can follow us on social media, on our Twitter at NYC Emergency MGT, as well as Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and much more. On this episode of Prep Talk, we are celebrating Black History Month and are joined by, mayor's, by the Mayor's Office for People with Disabilities Commissioner Christina Curry. Commissioner Curry was appointed to this role by Mayor Eric Adams in August 2022. And is, and is the first African-American woman to serve in this capacity. Before your current role, you worked for many years as an advocate for minority, deaf, hard of hearing communities at the Lexington Center for the Deaf in Queens. Can you tell us how and why you became an activist? I'm an advocate. Um, and that started purely by chance. I was in a job that really hated and they were downsizing, and I asked for my name to be put on it, put on the list. I wanted that golden parachute. I wanted out. And the minute they said, um, we're sorry to let you go, I picked up my pocketbook, left, and I went to NYU on the last day of registration um, to become an advocate. Deaf studies. I knew nothing about it except for a cousin who was deaf. And I went to NYU and uh, the one of the instructors said that there was an internship available at Lexington Center for the Deaf. I made an appointment. I was told, yes, they want me. And my career started from there. It's been a learning experience every day since then. Um, I was, the reason I became an advocate though for the black and brown communities was because while I was at Lexington, I noticed a disparity. I noticed that there was a real need for advocates for that community that looked like the community, that understood the community, that spoke the language, understood the culture, and um, it grew from there. Oh, wow. Thank you for sharing. Um, many roads can lead you to different things. So thank you for sharing your journey with us. Yes, definitely. Thank you. And I mean, along those lines, I know you said you, you wanted to you, you intended to work specifically with black and brown communities who may have, who may have not um, been treated fairly. And what are some of the things that you think impact uh, black and brown communities that um, are not so much in uh, the deaf population for uh the, the white community. So it's not just the deaf community, it's the disability community in general. It's the lack of representation. It's the, for someone who's deaf, having a sign language interpreter, that the disabled person who's going for an interview and how they're treated. Um, the way I've walked into a room and had people look at me and stare look at my resume, look at my name and look at me and me just smiling like, mm-hmm, that's right, I'm here, get over it. It's the, you know, the old saying, we have to be 
twice as smart, work three times harder. It's the same thing in the community as well to get the services and the respect. Within the federal definition of underserved, unserved population, that says that speaks volumes. It speaks volumes just that people have lower expectations and don't even realize that they have cultural biases against you because you're disabled and then a person of color. And all of that comes out in how they speak to you. And um, as an advocate, my job, as I saw it, was I advocate on all levels. It wasn't just to assist that person to get their benefits. It was also to educate the other person and saying, that's not how we're speaking to my client today. We're not going to do the overly um, empathetic, hello, how are you? We don't do that. Or talking around the disabled person. We don't do that. You engage the person who's there, the disabled person. You talk to that person. And don't try to stretch out the words um, because you think that's how the person would speak because they come from the South Bronx, Harlem, or certain parts of Brooklyn or, or Queens, or what have you. We're not doing that. So as an advocate starting out at Lexington, I learned how to start out nice but then if it if necessary, we were going to bring it all the way up. Um, the one thing I learned from being at Lexington before I moved over to Barry Free Living, then Harlem Independent Living Center, and ultimately where I am now, is know the law. If you know the law, then you stand on the law. You know that you're correct. Move forward from there. Thank you, Commissioner. You touched on a lot of uh, what I was going to ask for the next question, but you've already touched on on the challenges um, that people with disabilities face. Um, I guess my next question would be, what are some of the things that people can do to help overcome those challenges, get over those biases and, and make change and create change? Well, it's always about education. It's always starting out think, understanding that the person that you're encountering might not know. So I'll call that benign ignorance. So we educate, educate, educate. As an advocate who, before I came into government, I would, ad, I would educate until it got to the point of, okay, I'm sorry, you're non-compliant with the federal law time to take it to another level. But before you get there, you always start out nicely. You always start out saying, I understand even though it's 2023, whatever, you might not know this law. So let me break it down for you. Now, if you continue to be non-compliant, that's a whole nother matter. Other things, sometimes we have to go into a situation understanding we might be that first disabled person or deaf person that community members have ever met. And it happens. When I show up, and I show up with a sign language interpreter, and people look and go, well, what's that? Why? 
So you have to explain. It's sort of the same as growing up in the 60s and the 70s, going to work in the 80s, and being the only Black person in the office space. Same thing, only it's a different uh, issue of now it's a disabled person. So it's, it's possible that the community you're encountering has never met someone who's deaf or deafblind or blind or has a physical disability. Um, one of the things that I like to tell people is when you see me or you see someone deaf with an interpreter, don't rush up to the interpreter saying, oh my God, you were so great. Wow, that's exactly what I learned in sign language one. No, it's not. And then you end up ignoring the deaf person. So how do you know that interpreter was actually signing what they were supposed to? You don't. Or they might have been having a private, separate conversation because they were not interested in what was being discussed. But people tend to run up to the interpreter, ignore the deaf person, and then just go, oh, you're wonderful. Or you see someone in a wheelchair and you stand in front of them or you talk over them. And you'll ask, well, who's with them? What do they want? No, no, no. As I said earlier, you speak to the disabled person, plain and simple. It's not hard. Try it. It's it's not difficult. Right. Absolutely. It's um, education and um, what you alluded to, uh, assume positive intent. And yes, just educate people and be aware of, you know, what you're doing. Correct. Yeah, and I mean, definitely. And I think it's more so just seeing everyone as a human. Um, but along those lines, um, what, are, what are some of the major challenges that are still yet to be addressed um, for deaf people in the workplace? And um, what and what would you say the, the pandemic, did the pandemic contribute to these things? Um, did it make it better for people in the workplace? It depends on their communication level. Is this someone who needs a sign language interpreter? Is this someone who is hard of hearing and depends on lip reading? Is this someone who needs a combination thereof? If it's someone who's disabled, um, are your aisles free and clear so that a person in a wheelchair can go back and forth safely? If it's a blind person or a person with um, low or no vision, can you walk them through their space so that they know the area and can move around safely unassisted? If it's someone who needs a guide dog or a service animal, understanding that dog is not a pet, that's a working, a working animal. And it's not for the rest of us to say, oh, look at the fur baby. Not while the harness is on. Don't touch it. Um, It's not you don't grab someone with a vision loss or someone who has mobility issues because you can injure them. If it's someone who is blind, let them take your arm and you guide them. And the very simple reason for that in the workplace and everywhere else is that when you let them take your um, elbow or put their hand on your shoulder. It's a better indicator of when you're walking, if you're coming to an area that's not stable or if there's a step, when you get ready to step up, your shoulder will rise up so that person who's blind will know we're getting ready to go upstairs. Um, It's looking at someone who is sitting in, who's using a chair, eye level. 
so you speak to them eye level. Um, the other thing is, what are the challenges to be addressed in the workplace in general? There are low expectations of us as disabled people. People believe that if you are on the autism spectrum or if you have a mental health diagnosis, that we can't do the job the same as others. And that's not true. We have degrees, we can speak other languages. If we're given the opportunity to do the job, we can do the job. Presuming that's a job we interviewed for, then I'm thinking, yeah, we can do it. And no matter what, we still have to be trained. So it's that low expectation or no expectation. And especially for someone who is of color, it's even lower. The bar is almost on the floor of what people expect of us. And a lot will deny it and go, oh, no, no, never. But it's hidden bias, it's unconscious bias, and those are the things that need to be addressed. How did the, in the pandemic impact accessibility? Believe it or not, with the pandemic, technology, what we're doing right now, um, the fact that Zoom and Teams and Google Meet popped up, you know, before it was just Skype, I think. But now we had all these other options. So as a deaf person or a person who might not have been able to leave their home, they now have access. They can talk to their family in Alaska when they live in, in Tennessee or Mississippi or California. They can now talk to people they haven't seen in forever. Ever. And with the deaf community, it was access. We could see and talk to each other on a larger scale. Didn't have to go outside. Didn't have to worry about COVID because as long as I had a screen, now I can talk to everyone. But technology is getting better. Um, there was the advent of the telehealth you didn't have to go out. You could see the doctor. And if they remembered, they would have the interpreter on the screen with them. Sometimes they didn't. A lot of times they didn't. But it's getting better. So the pandemic, while very scary, um, for those of us with disabilities, it opened up new possibilities of communication, of being able to do things. Remote work, telework, virtual you didn't have to leave your home. You could work from New York for a job that was in Chicago. Same with people who are not disabled, but for those who were disabled, this opened up a whole new area of what could be done. The possibilities were endless. You discussed the health emergency, which was um, COVID-19 and how um, technology was, you know, very helpful in assisting and getting more people um, together virtually. Um, when it comes to emergency preparedness in general and response, what are the biggest challenges these communities face that emergency responders need to keep in mind when assisting during an emergency? Let's go back a little bit in working with the emergency services um, agencies, such as your agency, FEMA, other first responders, within the disability community, we have a phrase, a model that we believe. 
nothing about us without us. We have to be at the table. We have to be at the planning stage. There cannot be a plan of action without first talking to us to make sure it makes sense for us. You, it cannot be, oh, everyone will leave by the stairs. Well, what about those of us who have physical disabilities, those who use chairs, be it power or manual, those who have low vision, no vision, those with um, balance issues? We can't use the stairs. We're that person that's going to get pushed because we're holding everyone up because we can't use the stairs because that was the only plan. You cannot say that an air horn will be used to alert the city of an emergency and think that someone deaf will find it, figure it out or find out from someone else. We're New Yorkers. We don't all live with other people. Um, We don't always talk or communicate with other people. Um, So therefore, we might end up losing people. Um, Something real simple, the, the NYC, the text alert, that's a wonderful thing because it allows people, everyone, to know something's happening. Someone deaf can see it. Someone with low vision, depending on their phone, will hear it. Someone who uses a chair will see it. But there's so many things to be to consider. Something as simple as a disaster within your building, it doesn't have to be a citywide disaster, but something as simple as a disaster in your building that would necessitate evacuation. Well, what is the plan? for that? Is it supposed to be everyone in a wheelchair goes to the stairs and you wait? Are we all supposed to shelter in place? Well, if that's the case, if a firefighter or another first responder knocks on the door of someone who's deaf, but they've retreated away from that front door due to fire, smoke, or whatever, how will they know that there's someone knocking on that door? Because the light that flashes might not flash in their room or maybe the power has gone off. So now that person is trapped and there's nothing else that can be done at the moment because they don't know help is there. These are some of the things we have to or should consider. And it's not just deaf, it's disabilities that are hidden that we don't normally think about that you don't see at first glance. It's someone who has a mental health issue. It's someone who might be on the autism spectrum. It might be someone with a whole host of disabilities that even I haven't thought of. We need to be at the table as, to be as inclusive as possible for emergency response, because it doesn't just impact us, it has an impact on everyone. Making emergency response accessible for the disabled is also making it accessible for older adults, for parents who have toddlers and are using strollers. Um, It makes it accessible for the city. Thank you, Commissioner. Yes, it's very important that there are more people at the table when um, coming up with different emergency plans. So it's important to have people of all walks of life. So everything gets considered so people aren't left out in the cold, no unintended, you know, but make sure that they are, you know, safe so we can keep as many New Yorkers safe as possible during emergencies, whether it's planned or unplanned. Thank you. 
Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And I, I know uh, you spoke a little bit about some of the challenges that um, that the disability uh, um, community faces. How has um, your work as an advocate prior to you joining uh, government, how has it shifted in your new government role? Is it the same? Uh, some strategies you've, um, you've used in both fields? Thank you for that question. As an advocate, um, let's just say I loved, even when I didn't like the confrontation, I still loved my role as an advocate. Again, what I said earlier, know the law so you can stand on the law so that you can prevail. And as an advocate, it wasn't always the big things of going to court or, or having pending lawsuit litigation. It was something as simple as what I said before, just education, of educating those who were not aware. And it doesn't have to be confrontational, although I'm good at that. You can also start off, did I mention I live in the South Bronx? It's, you can be confrontational in a nice way, an educational way. Um, and that's some of the things that I like doing. Something as simple as going up to a store that might have had one step in front of it, but now it prevented someone from going in who had a, who used the wheelchair or leaving. And why is that important? Because if I'm already in there and I'm in a wheelchair and now I have to leave during an emergency, how does that happen safely? You need to make it as safe and an accessible entrance and egress always. Because again, if it's accessible for someone who's disabled, it's accessible for an older adult. It's accessible for a parent who has toddlers, who's using a stroller and so forth. So it's as an advocate, it was just always talking to people right now. This is advocacy educating those who were not aware, who might not have known about sign language interpreter. Can you, do you need one, even though you can understand my voice, but that doesn't make it better in terms of what I can and cannot hear or what I can and cannot see? That's advocacy. So the difference in how I see it now is one, temperament, to it's educating in a different way. It's not being confrontational, but now it's being the link between the community that I'm part of and that I've served for so many years and working with other agencies that might not have been aware or they knew we existed, they just didn't know how to make a change, how to make it accessible. Most people think when you say you have to make something accessible, they think, oh, this is too expensive. No, not necessarily. It could be changing out door handles. It could be just moving all the boxes that are in the aisles and shoving them into another space, a closet. It could be something as simple as walking with someone around the space so they know how to get out on their own, having a quiet room. 
um, having a room where someone can just go and sit and get away from the noise. And it's not just all of us that are disabled that need that. It could be anyone who's just had enough for that day and you need a break. So what I see the biggest change is not being able to say, <laughs> you don't want to comply. Let me tell you what's about to happen, how we're going to court. I can't do that anymore. But in this day and age, that shouldn't be necessary anyway. In this day and age, at this time in 2023, it should be, um, I understand that you might not know how to make a change and we're here to assist you. Um, how do you plan to make a difference as commissioner for the mayor's office for people with disabilities? And can you share your top three goals? By being here as a black woman who's the first in this position, that's making a difference right there. It's showing that we are inclusive. It's the young girls who are watching and saying, okay, I can do this too. It's showing people of color in the disability community that they are seen and they are heard. So that's one of the first differences that I believe is happening with me just sitting here and being here. It's understanding cultures in a different way because I grew up in those cultures. Um, three of the goals, well, as the mayor mentioned, employment. We are on a mission to increase the number of people who are disabled to help them assist them become employed. That is huge. That is the biggest thing that we could work on. Um, the next one, I would like to highlight and bring out or educate communities on the other disability communities we've never really thought about. And it's not just deafness, it's, it's not just um, people with low vision, no vision. It's the other disabilities that people don't talk about, don't understand, are afraid of, they don't have the education, et cetera, et cetera. It's saying yes, when we talk about the mayor's office for people with disabilities, we're trying to incorporate as many of the disability groups that exist as possible. I'm not saying I'm going to get them all, but I like to reach out and include and talk about to other city agencies, public community, everyone. This is who we are. We can do the job. We exist. We have the right to housing like you do. We're going to be outside. We want to socialize. We're not sitting in the corner in the dark in the back in the basement going up to the attic anymore. We're not doing that. We're making sure that buses are accessible and the subway and everything that non-disabled people have access to that's what we should have access to as well. So it's, I guess that goal would be two and three, access and education.
Those are some really great goals. And I look forward to see what you do, more of what you do for the mayor's office with people uh, people with disabilities. So um, in, in about a month, we'll have our community, uh, our community preparedness symposium, where we do a lot of outreach and education to uh, communities uh, with dis- uh, disabilities. Um, what are some of the things that you think, uh, what, what, what are some of the benefits that you think can come from things like that, like symposiums where you um, reach out to these groups and have them all in one area where uh, you can share ideas? So thank you for that question. And I have to say, I have attended the, these symposiums for many years and I always like them. I love attending them because I learned something new. And remember, I said since 9-11 and before 9-11, I have been involved at some point to some extent in trying to bridge the gap between emergency management and the disabled community. What I would like or hope to see, more participation with students who are getting their degrees in emergency management and actually have them talking to experts, us that are disabled. We are subject matter experts in disability and what we need um, in terms of how do I get out of a place in the event of emergency? What happens if there's flooding and I'm using a power chair? What do I do? How does that work? So I, what I would really like is to see more interaction, more communication between the emergency management community and the students with the disabled community. A lot of times what I've noticed in these symposiums is the disabled are sitting in one side and the non-disabled sit on the other side. Those who are deaf are always up front. Those in wheelchairs are usually to the side. And that doesn't really allow for a lot of communication. It actually allows for separation and it's a, uh, an invisible wall. So I'm hoping that that will change. And the only way that will change is when we speak on it because we've noticed it and others will say, hey, you're right. Let's try something different. But I love it. Uh, like I said, I've, been, I've attended those for many, many years and I usually come away with something different. Um, example would be, pre-COVID, and my life is now pre-COVID, post-COVID, is during one of the symposiums that was um, that I was scheduled to attend, there was an incident on the subway where I believe it was someone had, um, there was a bomb threat or something like that. This was a few years ago, and it was on the day that I was scheduled to attend the, the symposium. Couldn't get there because everything shut down. So when I got back to my office, I started sending out email. Hey, this is what happened to someone who can't hear and can't see very well. In the event of an emergency, this is what happened when people were leaving the subway. I got up and left, but I had no idea why. We need to look at this. Can we discuss this? Can we discuss what happens on a New York City subway platform when no one knows what's going on, but it's even worse for the disabled person? So that was a great opportunity to talk to people 
in within emergency management and say, did you notice this? Another thing from the symposium has been unfortunately talking about active shooter events and how and what do you do as a disabled person. And your agency has come up with a lot of good things working together with the disability community on how do we survive and, and changing the protocol of what was to what makes sense now. So those symposiums, I believe, are extremely vital for both the non-disabled community of emergency management and the disabled community as well, working together. But yeah, you made a good point. You was able to fill in a gap in real time by experiencing a, an emergency on your way to the symposium. So um, that's that's a um, really good thing that not that you experienced experienced that, but it was able to you were able to assist and and make sure that you know if it happens again, other people be able to be notified and and um, stay out of danger. I just have to say that while I've experienced, New York has always experienced something that others out of state just wouldn't understand. But the point that um, I'm trying to make is every time I've experienced something that was scary, that ultimately I questioned if I was going to survive that event, I would use that in talking to first responders or when I would do my presentations and saying, let's look at the broader picture. Because if it happened to me, it's probably happened to others. And this is what went right. And this is what went really, really wrong. And this is what we have to address. Keep the other part that went right. Incorporate that into training for everyone. But now let's look at what went wrong. Because again, if you make it accessible for the disabled community, you make it accessible for older adults, you make it accessible for parents with toddlers and those who use strollers. I keep saying that. If you make it accessible for us, you're making it accessible for all. And that's the whole goal of making New York City accessible in the event of an emergency, in the event of anything. We need to be accessible, but you need to remember us to incorporate us into those plans. You need to talk to us. You can't just presume. You have to invite us to the table. Yes, again, that's why that's so much that's so important to have more people at the table to um, be to make emergency preparedness plans, you know, people who make create those plans um, aware of, you know, some gaps that might they, that they haven't thought of. But because um, you've gone through or other people have experienced these issues, you're able to bring them to light and, and make change. What surprised you most about working in government? A lot of things. Um, coming from the nonprofit side of advocacy, the things that could be done, um, the approaches that we could take, as opposed to in government, it might not move as fast. But I have now the opportunity to reach out to city agencies in a discussion that might not have happened before. 
Whereas before we might have, we would have been on opposite sides of the table and unfortunately might have been adversaries. On this side now, I get a chance and an opportunity to discuss with agencies and say, for example, did you know your PSA is not captioned? And now you've lost access to an entire community who were dependent on captioning. Or is it possible we can look at having a sign language interpreter so that we can have access to another community? Um, It's the website access so that people with vision loss can actually navigate the website independently. It's making sure that office space is physically accessible. It's also something I haven't mentioned, attitudinal barriers. A lot of people think they know disability until they meet someone with a disability. And then they have to go, oh, well, maybe I didn't think of things in that way, or I didn't see it in that light. And then there are a few that will think they know better, no matter what. Um, My favorite is, and I'm not saying it's happened here in the five months that I've been here, but I, I always find it interesting when someone tries to correct me about a hearing loss. And I just kind of stare at them and the sign language interpreter like, oh, okay, wow. So... You know, those are, you know, I haven't encountered that per se, but there are definite um, stereotypes that have to be addressed. And some people in government are not quite there yet and don't understand why they need to do some things. And again, it's what I said earlier, not confrontational. It's about education, 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 and persistence. I think that's the biggest thing in government that still have to be persistent in saying this needs to be done. How do we assist you in accomplishing that? And if you notice, I use the word assist, not help. Help fosters dependency. And as a disabled person, I don't need to be dependent on anyone. I would like assistance. So we assist you in terms of learning about us. It's about independence. Thank you so much, Commissioner Curry. Um, It is now rapid response time. And if you are a first time listener, it is simple. Prep talk will ask questions and our guests will give the first answer that comes to mind. But before rapid response, here's a message from New York City Emergency Management. New York City needs your help to make our communities safer, stronger, and better prepared. Support your community by getting involved in the NYC Emergency Management Share Your Space Survey. Do you manage or own a facility in NYC with a large interior room, like a community center? A place of worship? Or a campus facility? These can be used for outreach, for training, as a gathering space in an emergency, or as a disaster recovery center for your community. Community spaces can be used as a resource before, during, and after an emergency. Organizations citywide are encouraged to participate. Go to nyc.gov slash share your space survey. There, you can register your space. 
by working together, we can build resilient communities, one space at a time. Learn more at nyc.gov slash share your space survey or call 311. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. What do you carry with you every day that will help you during an emergency? I have water. I have my sneakers. I have snack bar, granola bar, flashlight, charger, my battery. I keep my phone charged. Um, I have my ID. I have my waterproof matches. Don't know what I'll use them for, but I have that. I have an extra copy of my ID in a waterproof bag. I'm a graduate of MCNY. I know what to do. All right. (laughs) That was great. Uh, okay, so um, along some, some different lines, um, what is your favorite disaster movie or book? So when COVID came out, I think I watched Contagion every other week, Outbreak. But my favorite was Contagion because I was watching it unfold in real time uh, here in New York. So that's become my old time favorite. You want me to start quoting lines? Let me know. I can. Um, Your favorite hobby to relax uh, or distress? Aw, relax. What is that? That concept. I've heard of it. Um, Okay, so during COVID, I watched YouTube and I learned how to cook Japanese and Korean food in Korean and Japanese. So that was my hobby. Oh, wow. You put us all to shame. <laughs> right. Do I hear a potluck coming up? Exactly. <laughs> Have you seen the price of eggs lately? <laughs> and chicken? I might just become a vegan out of necessity. But <laughs> my hobby was watching YouTube and learning how to cook different things. Oh, amazing hobby. My favorite food. <laughs> Mine too. That's why I was watching YouTube. I was hungry. Couldn't get food. So, and my family lives in the South. So I had to cook for myself. It was either that or starve. Okay. So the last question we have, um, Commissioner, describe your work in one word. Nonstop. Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us, Commissioner. Um, I was glad to talk to you and understand some of the some of the challenges that are affecting the disability community and how we can work together as a city to um, improve, um, improve the lives and make the city accessible for everyone. I just wanted to say thank you in having me here. This was my first podcast. This was a learning experience for me as well. It was really fun. I have no idea if my voice was very clear. I hope it was. That's one of the things when you have a hearing loss that you lose that ability to tell um, how you sound to others. But thank you so much. This was fun. 
That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared.